we didn't talk about who does the introduction. That's a key part of the it whole is, thing. And we forgot Otherwise, it. it all. <laughs> well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of News of the World. The world has news, and we bring it to you in a slightly different form, perhaps, than your other feed. And we are myself, Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, coming to you from someplace in Portugal. And on the other side of the cable that I'm running uh, across Europe, it's Tim Pritlove. Yes, it is from Berlin. Yeah, that's where I laid the cable. The, too. the wireless cable. <laughs> that's correct. That's all I could afford. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it works. Yep. At least it yep. works. We're, that's good. Did you hear it, Tim? We're back. Oh, yes. Uh, I heard it. I read it in the comments. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, very nice to see that people were uh, a bit excited about us uh, returning. And I'm always surprised to see that people... Uh, Actually, subscribe to to a feed that hasn't put out anything for for years. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. I, you know, it's. I also was very honored when people say my favorite podcast. Now, pay, maybe they tweet that every few days about a different <laughs> podcast. But I was like, your favorite? This must have been a tough few years. <laughs> oh yes, I've thought about that one. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, that makes me take this even more seriously to know that this is your favorite. Then I'm I'm going to work harder. That's good. Yeah. Yep. But so it, it was really nice to get all that feedback from people. Uh, I saw it mostly on Twitter. And uh, that, yeah, indeed, that makes us very happy. So we promised to focus on the world and this time, especially on the US situation now with the elections coming up and we managed to meet again after four weeks. So I guess we have an interesting time span to look at. Yeah. Uh, Well, did we miss anything? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happens in this year over the course, you know, just a few yes. weeks. Like, it's all very hum-ho. But indeed, I think our top item today um, was the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, I think it was uh, cancer, although she'd been fighting cancer for many years and, and surviving and, and thriving in, in different ways. But indeed, she passed away, I guess it's last week at this point. And, uh, you know, it means a, a, ga a gap, a hole in the Supreme Court, a seat, uh, a very important seat, as Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a progressive uh, in, in many different ways. But certainly, we often look at the Supreme Court and say, okay, there's so-called conservative judges and there's so-called progressive or liberal judges. And now I think that number is somewhere six to two or... Well, depending on what happens from here. So now there's the saying goodbye to one great figure in the Supreme Court and wondering what happens next. Well, let's talk a bit about her because she's not just like a judge or a liberal progressive judge. She's been um, a very, uh, how should I put it, a very special personality Uh, she was on this court forever and she <laughs> she died now in at the age of what was it uh 70 uh what nine no eight she's born in uh let's see 33 78 okay <laughs> And she was still, you know, thriving. She, her communication skills were top notch. Uh, I, I remember 
this uh, wonderful TV workout she did <laughs> with Stephen Colbert. You know, she was d working out regularly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she was fighting everything that could keep her from actually doing this job. I saw the tribute on the BBC where uh, it was just a video clip. Um, her body laid in state uh, in the Capitol building this week, and her personal trainer, who was a soldier, uh, it would appear from his uniform, came to the casket and then dropped and did push-ups as a sort of in honor Tribute. of her. I guess they would do push-ups together. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was very odd and sweet. Yes. Yeah. Um, but indeed, yeah, she, I mean, she's a very unique figure. I, I also find it fascinating, you know, she, every Supreme Court judge has their career, could be a very long career, that's how you sort of gain the attention of those who, well, presidents and such. Um, and indeed, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had really, everywhere she went, as from being a law student at Harvard and then Columbia to eventually uh, working as a lawyer for causes that, you know, there was no money in it. It was, it was uh, social justice campaigns. And even within social justice campaigns, she would uh, come up against people who would tell her, not now, let's not do this, whether it was issues for women, whether it was issues for minorities, uh, other minorities. And um, Ginsburg was always fighting and indeed, Uh, in the 90s when she became a Supreme Court judge, it was like, wow, this person, you know, it's it's amazing that we have someone like this. And so, yeah, it, it, a very unique figure, maybe someone the likes of which we'll never see again. Um, also because she was, even though we keep saying liberal wing, liberal wing, she was very, look, like any good judge, really, regardless of your politics, she would listen, she would consider, and she would uh, sort of make a judgment. Uh, it wasn't, I already know what the answer is, or I know what it should be. Um, I, I find when I listen to her speak, and when I look at her uh, opinions, they weren't those of someone who was pushing so-called political agenda. If there was any agenda, it was rights, uh, rights for all, and uh, sort of, you know, making sure that that is always paramount. Um, but now we often say that she was a progressive because I guess we're arriving at a time where that's not common to have judges like that. Um, apparently, the new standard is judges who are pushing some kind of agenda, which I suppose looks like it's often going to be conservative. Um, we're really seeing the politicization of the Supreme Court. Now, it's always been political, but now it's... It's taking a really big uh, turn, becoming more political, and it's. I find it quite strange, um, and that's also makes the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg even sadder, because um, it may be the end of an era. Mm. I mean, the Supreme Court uh, has been the focus for quite some time now. Everybody knows that uh, the Trump administration um, tries to push very hard to get conservatives into any ranks uh, in the judiciary. Not only the Supreme Court, but it had um, everything somehow culminated when he, uh, who was the one who uh, stepped back from his seat uh, at the Supreme Court who needs to be replaced last time? Uh, the last one would have been the death of Scalia, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Or was there? No, no there was a, somebody was stepping back and then Brett Kavanaugh was. Kennedy, perhaps? I don't know what the name was. Let me see. 
Oh, this is a good quiz question. We don't have we don't have pubs anymore, but um, this is a good pub quiz <laughs> question. It may have been Kennedy. Uh, Kennedy, yes, yes. All right. Well, um, yeah, Anthony Kennedy. I guess stepped back for yes. reasons. Yeah, I always forget because I think people stay till they die, which is common. Yes, um, but he did not. Yeah. So we got Kavanaugh during Trump. We got Neil Gorsuch uh, during Trump. That's basically one year difference, 2017, 2018. And now in 2020, we may, it would seem, get uh, ACD or ABC or Amy Comey, Coney, Amy Coney. Uh, I forget. <laughs> okay, her name. whatever her three letter acronym is. Um, so yeah. let's have a look at what the. Um, role of the Supreme Court is in the U.S. system and what's so special about how people are being appointed to it. Okay, I mean, the, the role is, I, I think you have this in, in Germany, you have this in most countries, some kind of a high court that is going to rule on whether or not policies passed by generally Congress uh, are uh, they, they hold up to the Constitution uh, and maybe beyond that, but it's supposed to be mostly towards what the Constitution says. So over the years, uh, even more recently, when Obama was president, as many of you will remember, there was his Health Care Act, the Affordable Care Act. And uh, it it was passed by Congress, but of course, there were many cases trying to knock it down. And eventually, the Supreme Court ruled on this matter, and they said uh, it is legal uh, to do this. And that makes a huge difference. That means the program can go on, it can exist. Of course, more and more legendary back from 1973, Roe versus Wade was the essentially the court case at the Supreme Court that said abortion is legal, or in other words, there's nothing within the US Constitution that says or anything towards yes or no for abortions. That's a matter for that, that people can decide for themselves or states at some level, uh, no, wait, no, states can't do anything about it. It's it's a federal, basically, ruling for all states to follow. So we've also seen, historically, the Supreme Court ruling on matters related to education, access to education, access to ballots, um, gay marriage, uh, not so long ago, also, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of it. So the Supreme Court has this power to make what become very socially impactful Uh, laws stick and stay. So the abortion law, for example, or the abortion policy has remained since 1973. Uh, Amazing amount of time for people to still be talking about possibly reversing it, or at least some politicians trying. Uh, So the Supreme Court has this tremendous power on American society and how it either changes or doesn't change. Um, and especially new programs, new policies that might be considered anti, uh, what is the word? Um, anti-constitutional? No, no, no. There's a better word for it, but a violation of the constitution mm-hmm. in some way. Unconstitutional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the word. Un. <laughs> so there are nine seats, um, held by judges who actually do the ruling and, uh, well, they are appointed by the president. They are. They're approved by uh, Senate. Um, There weren't always nine seats. Nine seats came into play somewhere 
in the early or mid 1900s, I think during FDR and FDR, uh, who had his new deal, who was president for three terms, the last president to be, to be able to do that until they changed the law. And he, uh, purposely did what's called court packing, or he expanded the Supreme court so that he could nominate judges to help him pass, uh, elements of the new deal, which were, uh, a new, a whole new thing, as the title suggests. Some people thought it was, he was overstepping his bounds, so he needed the Supreme Court to rule. It's not very "quote unquote" democratic, uh, but he needed that Supreme Court to support his policies. So it became a nine-judge panel, and this is also interesting. It doesn't have to stay nine judges. The U.S. doesn't seem like a place these days that is going to make any kind of changes in favor of progressive politics, but it would be possible, for example, if Biden becomes president, to expand the court. Uh, This could get crazy, by the way. Uh, If he expands the court, what's the next president do? Does this become a new thing, a trend? But yes, it's it's nine judges, and there's certainly one seat now that is up for uh, nomination, uh, apparently by our current president, Trump, and it looks uh, he's doing it. He's nominating. I don't know when the vote happens. It's happening more quickly, uh, certainly than the Democrats wanted. And uh, that relates also back to the the, the end of the Obama administration when um, Obama could have nominated someone ten months before leaving. I'm sure you've all heard this story now, but there it is. You know they they didn't manage to do it. The Republicans uh, stalled, and they had the power to do that. Um, and now they're not stalling, of course, and a lot of Democrats are calling foul um, and saying this is horrible when it was our time. We didn't do such a thing. You know, not fair is basically the call that's being shouted across the country. Oh, not, not only that they did not do the same thing in the very same situation, but uh, nomination of a new judge by Barack Obama was actually prohibited by the Republican-led Senate last time. Yeah, and, and that's what gives you a lot of power, right? I mean, had it been a Democrat Senate, maybe we would have seen uh, really quickly someone get nominated, someone get approved, but they had the Senate. And once again, as we speak, they have the Senate. This is an ongoing problem, especially if you're with the Democratic Party in the US. They have not had the Senate in quite some time. So what do you think? Do you think they're going to rush it through and it's just going to happen? Or is there any legal or non-legal way to, to prevent this from happening? I originally, when, when RBG died, I thought they're not going to do it because there's a few, let's call them rebels. They're not, they haven't been rebels, but they, they now are uh, Republicans in the Senate who aren't with Trump uh, for various reasons, um, including having been constantly offended uh, by uh, him. If in the case of Romney, Mitt Romney has been insulted over and over again by this president, is no friend of Donald Trump. And so someone like him would easily not vote with Trump. Or I say easily. He's not going to do it. He's already said he will actually vote for whoever Trump puts forward, sort of choosing party over, you know, never mind what the president has said about me. Um, There are others, I think Lisa Murkowski in Alaska. um, They are either 
this is their last few weeks even of uh, of being a senator. They're retiring. or So there could have been, and there still could be, Republicans that surprise us and don't go with Trump. But unfortunately, there have been enough statements from these various potential uh, no votes that are kind of coming out saying, eh, no, I would vote. I would vote in favor. So it doesn't look like uh, there's enough votes to turn the tables of the majority uh, Republican Senate. And you've still got, if there were a tie, the vice president gets to vote. Um, so it, I don't, I've been looking around in articles for any kind of way that this is going to be stopped, and I still can't see it. I mean, there is a national outcry that people are very annoyed uh, that this is happening, that they're using the quotes from Mitch McConnell uh, during the end of the Obama administration, who said the Supreme Court, uh, the new judge for the Supreme Court should be chosen by the voters in this next election. Mitch McConnell being Democrats the leader of the Senate. Words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they're using his words now, uh, the Democrats are, to try to say, hey, this is the standard. But, you know. What's a standard when you're when you're talking about Mitch McConnell? They, they just don't care. It's the same with Lindsey uh, Graham, who, who also, you know, didn't you say you you can put my own words against me? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> explicitly yeah. stating that this shouldn't happen, and now it does happen, and nobody cares. It does happen. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I can't see, and I'm looking around this week uh, for. Anyone who finds finds a way that you can stall, that would be interesting, or or shift the vote somehow. But and, and now we we have uh, Amy Coney Barrett as the one they're going to vote on, and I'm looking through her sort of record, and so far I don't see like Brett Kavanaugh had this horrible reputation as uh, with women um, that was subject for of course, a lot of criticism and potentially that he not get um, voted uh, favorably at all. Amy Coney Barrett so far doesn't have that, doesn't have, uh, so far what they're attacking her with is her religion. And I don't know if that's going to work. And also, let's not forget, Democrats are appealing to centrists. They don't want to attack religious people right now. They want the religious people. And this is the sort of bet of the Biden campaign. Now we're, we're going over into the presidential campaign because it's, it's all related. Democrats are very afraid right now to offend centrist voters. That means religious people, conservatives of different types. They want these people. So this is, their, <laughs> this is what they're banking on to win. And so this also hurts them. And when it's time to attack a candidate like this for uh, for the Supreme Court. Um, so I find the Democrats, their hands are kind of, they've tied their own hands. Um, they, they, it doesn't seem like they can stop this. They don't have the votes. And I think they don't have the will based on what they're trying to do by getting Biden elected and get those former Trump voters. So maybe they're just focusing on winning the election. Yes. And then probably expanding huh. the, 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 the court. Uh, I mean, the expansion of the court thing is, I read a lot of the Washington Post, thanks to someone who gave me an, an account. And um, that, that would be a move. And I, I think we live in an era where that's possible. But if they were to try it, the Democrats would get a lot of anger. Uh, Joe Biden, the future president, would get 
a lot of anger and it, you know they would call him i mean they already do but they would call him a further sort of traitor of the country trying to chain, manipulate the country all the things we say about trump they will try to say about biden because he's changing something that's considered huh, to some extent tradition nine seats supreme court but i think i think they would try it and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what happens after that. What kind of power do they need to do it? Do, do they need to be in control of the, the Senate. Senate? Yeah, they do. So basically, no, well, they need the votes. Sorry, they need the votes. Yes. Okay. So basically, everything that the Democrats need to uh, want to achieve needs having control of the Senate anyway. So that's the main focus now. I mean. Yes, and I don't know if they're going to... Look, they're more focused on getting the presidency. And that may be in my... Look, ladies and gentlemen who are listening, I am not a political analyst. I'm not a professional at this. But I do feel the Democratic Party is focused on getting the presidency. They've mobilized people towards this end. And everything else has been put to the side. And I think that even winning the Senate might fall victim to this whole thing. Uh, we'll see. Because we did, you and I, Tim, looked at uh, seats that were close, that might be won. There's, there's some gains to be made. But I don't know that when this election is over, they're predicted to actually control the Senate. So we're going to have a Biden presidency and potentially a slightly Republican uh, by two seats or something uh, um, Senate. And I don't know what happens then. I mean, it becomes like an Obama presidency. Many people will say, yay, I miss those days. But it doesn't bode well for the Supreme Court, for the decisions they're going to be made uh, on specific issues. Trump thinks, you know, I mean, Trump thinks a lot of things. Maybe we shouldn't take him too seriously. But he thinks that there could even be, uh, like he leaves it open to abortion being declared illegal. But, you know, that would need certain case to climb to the Supreme Court. Uh, for people who are panicking, I would point one thing out, uh, and, and then I'll turn it back to you, Tim. Um, people often think of every judge as being liberal or conservative, and that's, it seems like they're all wearing that badge openly now, or at least accepting this, these kind of tags. But we have seen Supreme Court justices who were actually considered conservative, nominated by even recently, like Trump, and they rule in favor of so-called more, let's say, liberal uh, policies. We've seen it on a few votes. All I'm saying is, and I'm not saying this makes me, everyone should sleep well at night, but judges do not always vote the way we've labeled them. Mm -hmm. Not always. Mm -hmm. Some do. Scalia was legendary for it. Um, but we do have some judges that even though they're considered conservative, they don't always go conservative. Uh, you know, this is not a lot of hope to hang on to, um, but it's something. You're still a judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. Um, I find this Senate uh, race particularly interesting in this uh, election because we kind of don't know how this whole election is going to turn out. I mean, there is, of course, always a liberal majority in America which has problems of coming out because of the election system. And as long as the election system is uh, like it is, you know, it's just going to be decided in a few uh, states. And right now it doesn't really look that bad. But I find the, the, the Senate situation much more interesting because it has been so powerful in blocking everything Democrats wanted to do during the Obama presidency 
and somehow even uh, enables um, Trump to to get away with so many stuff. You know, I mean, the yes. impeachment was just a disaster. I mean, <laughs> uh, yes. it, it was so obvious uh, what he did and, and, and what he's doing every day. And, you know, I mean, you understand this European position where we all look uh, across the ocean and say, like, what the hell? You know, <laughs> I mean, why, how? It's it's just Im Every week. impossible to, to comprehend uh, how this could go on and on and on. Um, and I'm pretty sure there are lots of people <laughs> in the US who just feel the same. So I have mm -hmm. the feeling that the the Senate race somehow could be a turning point once the Democrats would be able to actually get the seats. And I've seen, um, or we all have seen that 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 states uh, now for the uh, presidency election that have never been considered to be swing states, never been considered to be uh, uh, be, be caught by by the Democrats, right. are actually now on, on the line somehow. Texas, right. Arizona, yeah. um, yes. Florida, probably. Well, this has always been a, a swing state somehow. Sure, sure. Is there any other example? Um, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina mm -hmm. are... are competitive uh and could be become republican uh, sorry democrat and uh yeah yeah a couple a couple of southern states really i mean that's so yeah. what does this mean for the senate race because the senators i mean there are two senators from each state so you've got 100 senators two from each state there are 50 states although there should be at least 52 <laughs> uh, <laughs> right well said well said guam represent oh washington puerto rico represent Washington D.C. represent uh, maybe yep, yep. 53 well, or even more. I don't know, 55. Yeah, <laughs> just add more states. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you have the people uh, being governed in those yeah, places. Yeah, yeah, could be. Yeah. Um, so, which Senate seats are actually up for grabs uh, during this election? Okay, so there are 23 Republican seats in play. And there are 12 Democratic seats also being voted on, where they're being voted mm -hmm. on. Of the 23 Republican seats, 13 are considered competitive. Now, I'm not, I can't comment right now on how competitive, but they're considered close enough to mention. Of the Democratic 12 seats, only two are competitive. So, you know, best case scenario, uh, the Democrats gain 13 seats. That would be pretty, that would be like a perfect game. Uh, I'm thinking of baseball because we're just at the end of baseball season. Anyway, uh, so the 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 places where we could see a change are, as we just mentioned, uh, Texas, Arizona, Alaska, going Democrat, possibly. I mean, it is possible this year. Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Kentucky, where we just had the ruling on the Breonna Taylor uh, case, could go Democratic. Um, and then we have Montana, uh, Iowa, and Maine. Kentucky, that would be Mitch McConnell. That would be the leader of the Senate. Um, is that his... He is from Kentucky. So. Uh, yeah. I think he's up for re-election. Yeah, I don't I don't have his record in front of me, but yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, but see, but that's interesting that it would even be considered competitive because my impression was that he was a very popular uh, senator. At least, you know, from his state. <laughs> He's also a hated senator. Uh, but yeah. If they're also hated, why do they keep getting reelected? I mean... Uh, yeah. Well, no, they're hated nationally. 
<laughs> they're liked locally, like our guy. Um, yeah, so even the Washington Post says in Kentucky, uh, there's a Democrat named Amy McGrath. Don't know anything about her. Sorry, dear listeners. Um, they doubt huh, that she can unseat Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, as you said, Tim, uh, despite her massive fundraising. Um, she's been trying not to alienate Trump voters, uh, but she's been doing better than expected. And, um, it's suspected that Mitch McConnell has sort of neglected his home state because he's been so busy with these national issues and keeping the Senate majority. Um, so he only has a five point lead according to recent polls over McGrath, which is indeed not much. Um, but it's still a lead. So, yeah. and <coughs> And there's a lot of, it is, and there's a lot of independence in Kentucky, mm -hmm. um, which could back her. So she's been trying, apparently, not to uh, attack Trump too much to potentially keep, there it is again, these sort of, I voted Trump, but maybe not this time kind of voters. Um, it's still, they label it as a quote, it would take a historic democratic tsunami to knock out McConnell. So that's where this map and I'm getting this from the Washington Post, is a little weird because even the ones they consider competitive, in the breakdown, they say, well, it would take quite quite something to happen. I think Texas is similar. Um, you know, it would really take, without looking at who the candidate is, it would take quite some change and like a sort of are, are these, push. Are these uh, Senate um, elections run the same way? Is, is, uh, do you have always to to win a certain local area and then you get the whole vote from the local area or is it a direct vote where people are where every vote counts for for senators every vote counts in the state mm -hmm. um so i just i have my ballot it's actually here somewhere I, I traveled with my ballot which i printed out in amsterdam to uh here to portugal and i have to mail it um tomorrow would be a good day to do it and uh there on my ballot for new jersey mm -hmm. it says you know um uh, cory booker and uh, whoever the other person is i don't know <laughs> i didn't even look i just <laughs> ticked off the box for my friend cory and that's that doesn't matter where in new jersey i live mm -hmm. <laughs> and that i don't live that's probably what most people in the u.s do they don't even look who the other guy is right that's a good point <laughs> I looked at look. I looked at the other candidates from these third parties because that's really fun. But that's more for the um, congressional races, mm -hmm. and then it does matter where you live for Congress. Mm -hmm. So no, that you know you could you could just get people to vote in certain numbers, large numbers, no matter where they live in the state, and you could uh, you could win. Uh, it can happen. And what really impacts these races, both congressional and Senate is when population shifts, for example, take North Carolina, South Carolina, for more than a decade, people from the Northeast, New Jersey, New York, have been moving down there, uh, some to retire, but also some for work, because the Northeast is crowded, and they're deciding to go south along the coast um, to start a life somewhere else. There's a lot of companies down there to work for these big corporations. So this can shift your, let's say, once very solidly Democrat, oh, solidly Republican conservative state to be more liberal, let's say, maybe not progressive. So that's where we'll see some of these states change. Arizona, it makes sense to some extent that Arizona changes because the population is changing. The only thing is, when you're a state where a lot of retired people go, it could go either way. It could become more conservative. Florida is confusing because 
it's a lot of retired people, but it's retired people with different kinds of politics. You know, retired teachers have a different voting pattern than retired cops, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, there it is. You know, that's why these states are changing, whether or not it's this election. Uh, this could be a sign for future elections as population shift continues. I find this quite interesting, this uh, change, this slight change in, in demographics, because on the one hand, it's it's a slow process, as, as you've uh, said, you know, people moving and so on, uh, probably not moving en masse, but there's a constant change. And uh, in general, um, there is also um, this new trend which was caused by the coronavirus crisis that people are leaving the urban areas for the countryside because now there are much better chances of doing work from home. Yes. And which also means living uh, a cheaper way of life because life in the cities has been super expensive, especially in some areas like uh, California. Um It's probably too early to see any outcome of this, but the combined demographics also with white people uh, no longer having a majority in the demographics, more Hispanics uh, joining the population in America. There's this tendency that there's probably an ever more slipping majority for this Republican Party in the long run, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's very I mean it's it's long been said to be very likely but I yes that is something I mean they always say well the party whether it's democratic or the republican party they're also trying to get with the trends. So uh, we just had the announcement on the Breonna Taylor uh, verdict which basically said that the cops were not guilty of of murder or manslaughter, as it were. Um, and there was a attorney general, um, sorry, his name escapes me right now, but he's a very young, he's 30, I think he's 34. He's a, a, a Republican, he's black. And um, a lot of people within the Republican party say he's the future of the party. So in other words, conservative, but not an old white man, a young black man. So th- for them anyway, this is how they're tr- so-called trying to keep the numbers of people that support their party uh, while still being conservatives. I mean, if anybody really bothered to watch the uh, Republican convention event, um, they rolled out all kinds of uh, people who maybe you don't normally see representing the Republican Party because they're trying to both recruit but also show that they're down with the changes in the country. Um, I think the Democrats have long been much, I'm going to say much better at that, but it's not a game. You know, it's it's just simply it is the party of or has been the party of immigrants, of minorities, because the other party isn't. Um, so it's a struggle now for both parties in their way of of embracing the changes. Um, this is part of why I never really worry. I just told you I'm voting in the New Jersey election. But as far as the presidency, this. <laughs> There's not really much chance that any Republican for on the presidential scale or on, well, Senate scale, it's possible, but um, is going to win because New Jersey is a, a state of mostly people who have arrived in the last 20 to 30 years um, and they, well, they vote Democratic. 
Um, and we see that in all the big cities on the coasts and around the lakes. And everybody knows that the Trump never even had a majority, a real majority. The, by popular vote, you know, you never got as many votes uh, as Clinton got. So the only way to uh, survive for the Republicans to, 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 to retain their power is basically to retain this old system of uh, this electoral college, which basically means you, you collect the votes in the states and, 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 and that's uh, the definition of the outcome of the uh, election. Although most people voted a different way. How could this change? Isn't the Supreme Court here also a very a defining factor and that's why they're so keen on um, getting a majority in that court? Yeah, you, you mean how could the uh, electoral college system change? Right. Yeah, I mean someone would have to go as far uh, from a governing level like a congressional level to try to abolish the electoral college i suppose a president could also start such a campaign certainly bring it as a topic because we see how this president crazy or not he brings topics into the public conversation and some of them stick as issues that suddenly people care about i mean look what he's done with the postal system uh two three years ago no one was talking about how to <laughs> close or expand the postal system. Uh, the only conversation might have been how it's in decline in terms of use. But because the president talks about it, it becomes an issue. So it would be possible if a president were brave enough, if a president Biden uh, were brave enough to say, you know, this electoral college thing is, uh, it's not very democratic and uh, it's time to close it up. And, uh, you, you know, you, you pass the policy, you pass the law and the Supreme Court could simply Uh, rule it as fitting within uh, the laws of the land, of the Constitution. So I, I think the Supreme Court could have a role if uh, the governing people, the, the, the Congress and the executive branch, were ever brave enough to talk about this. But they've never been brave enough to talk about this. You know, it's, it's a tradition. It's too complicated. The average citizen doesn't know much about it. Um, I, I don't know when we're going to ever get to this as something that really gains attention and the public really demands. Um, but yeah, the, the electoral college is, I don't know, it's, it's ridiculous, but you know, so are two parliaments in the European union. <laughs> well, yeah, it is ridiculous, but it's not as big of a problem. <laughs> agreed. 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 It's just expensive and annoying. And that that's basically it. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that it somehow it's not a priority. That's why I bring up the two parliaments. Yeah. It's not a priority for people. And if it were, that might get some traction uh, with, you know, trying to do something about it, daring to do something about it. But everything else is just kept as some kind of tradition, as what makes us America, you know. <laughs> I'm sure there are people who think, you know, even the Supreme Court, that it was it's nine judges because that's written in the Constitution. There are probably plenty of people that believe that because it sounds like a good story. You know, they'd write this document, they create a country, and they say, here's a president and there's a, uh, a Supreme Court. And, but it, it's not the case. You know, this, these seats were simply a president that was trying to get some policies passed. And he said, okay, let's make it nine now. Uh, so yeah, there's often the myths that people believe we have to have these things. Otherwise the country doesn't exist, which isn't true. <laughs> Or would run into chaos. <laughs> yes. Which, you know, we already live in yes. chaos. So. There's plenty of chaos already available. So you could also just change everything else now. 
I mean, there is a belief that if Trump is no longer president, the chaos is over. And I say, if Trump is no longer chaos, <laughs> if Trump is no longer president, there is more chaos still. And I think that becomes, you know, it's the Republican Party, it's the influence of Trump for sure, mm-hmm. but it's just everything is being gamed and uh, used as part of this, I guess we call it a political race, but it's just a two-party fight. Um, and I think that the court could become even more in play, not just when a, a judge is retiring or dies. All right. So um, let's see how and if Mr. Trump could get into any trouble. Um, <laughs> mine, uh, there are news about him that should you know, end his presidency every day. It's like nothing I hear <laughs> signals like, oh, this is a good choice, isn't it? <laughs> he's like a normal president, isn't he? He's, he's really annoying and um, needs to go. So everybody has been <laughs> focusing on this issue of tax returns. and There has been a legal battle about this, which uh, actually funny that you mentioned that the Supreme Court sometimes, you know, makes decisions nobody uh, has been expecting uh, that way. I think they have also been ruling on the the question of the president being forced uh, to show his tax returns or have his uh, tax returns being published by the tax authorities. Wasn't it? There was a decision. Uh, on it. I, I, it definitely started with federal judges um And then uh, I'm not sure at what point the, the, if, if the Supreme Court got involved, but I remember that it was the Eastern District of uh, New York that really pushed for this. And uh, Trump even tried to get these federal judges uh, fired or, or replaced yeah. and it didn't, didn't happen. Yeah, I have no, um, no link ready, but I think the Supreme Court also was involved recently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and somehow confirmed <laughs> this ruling. So um, now the New York Times actually got his hands on on these tax returns of the last, I don't know, what, 25 years or so, or 20 years? Uh, yes, uh, going all the way back to uh, 10 of the previous 15 years. So they got 15 years. 15 years, yeah. all right. That's uh, quite something. And, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> usually everybody would react like, oh, yeah, now we know the truth, and once we know the truth, you know, everything will change. But we have learned now in the last four years that, The truth doesn't really matter. It's the way you spin it. You know, it's just, uh, it's always a media war. But uh, before we look on the impact this might have, have you looked at what actually was being published now? What, what do we know now that we've probably only uh, suspected to be the truth? Well, so what's impressive is they even have information from the last few years, which is still already shocking. So in his first year, And the you know in the year he won the presidency, so that's actually uh, well that includes the first year in the White House. Apparently, he paid seven hundred and fifty dollars in federal income taxes. Seven hundred and fifty dollars, not seven hundred and fifty million dollars or something like no, this. No, no, no. There's a dot, just seven hundred fifty dot. <laughs> so that's what he paid the year he won the presidency, and in the previous. 15 years, or at least in 10 of those 15 years, so 10 years, he paid no income taxes because he reported losing more money than he made, which is a practice I have been doing for years, and I still have to pay a lot of taxes. <laughs> But hey. And you're not even president. 
No. If that's what I now know, I need to go into politics to justify my my losing money every year. Um, let's see. He also apparently got a. Uh, he's in an audit battle with the IRS because he got a seventy two point nine million tax refund. Uh, it doesn't say what year, but at some point, seventy two point nine million. He claimed and received because he declared so many losses. And the IRS apparently uh, uh, wants some of this back, and he won't do it. They're in court over it. Um, he may have to pay back $100 million. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he's fighting not to pay that back. Sure. Yeah. So according to the IRS, he takes in hundreds of millions a year, um, but he also racks up what's called chronic losses, um, and the losses he does to avoid paying taxes. Anyway, I mean, look, Trump has always said these kind of things without specific are smart business. So there it is. You know, now we see his smart business a little more out in the open. Um, yeah, 2018, 19. So what? You know, we now have the information that has long been speculated. And it's interesting because it was such a huge fight to get this out. And I think it's interesting because if he loses this election, this probably becomes more of an issue. Like (laughs) on page 10 of the newspaper for the next few years, former President Trump, um, you know, still fighting not to pay taxes, judge rules against former president. You know, if he loses the election, this is going to become stuff that finally might reach him. I wonder if he wins election, if this stuff ever touches him, you know, they just can stay in court but for does, years. Does anybody care? I mean, does any of his voters so. care about this at all? I don't think so. No, we're way past the point of sort of actually caring about, it's like what I said, you know, you look at the ballot and you see your guy and you don't look at the other thing. They look at the, the ballot or they look at the newspaper and they see their guy. They don't see the numbers that he didn't pay to the government or did he didn't, you know, no, I don't think it matters. So nothing, um, nothing really matters anymore. <laughs> That's you're basically queen. We're in a queen song. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, he's just a poor boy. Nobody loves yeah, him. Yeah, we're we're caught in a Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's just a poor boy from a poor family. Um, so, no, you know, I, I think that the I, I keep breaking everything down in terms of Re- Republicans and and Democrats, but maybe the hope, certainly by the New York Times. I think, is that there are people out there who still look at this president and say, look, he's got a horrible style. I wish he wouldn't tweet so much. We've seen these polls that say this. But as a president, he's a good businessman. I mean, he's been a good businessman. He's a good manager. We think he's a good manager because we've seen it before he became president. We think um, he's assertive. And in the end, he's he's bluntly honest. Now, this stuff on the tax returns potentially shows that he's not honest and that he's not a good businessman. I mean, again, we've been arguing these things for years, but now you have numbers. So there may be these people who like Trump based on a perceived um, proficiency as president or, or, you know, just being able to do this job who now go, oh boy, this guy is not who he's claimed to be, not even the good manager. So those people might find this important and they may base decisions uh, around it. And I don't know legally, legally what could happen to Trump 
but I think as long as he's president, he seems to be able to skate around any kind of legal issues. <laughs> At some point, maybe he can pardon himself. I have no idea. Um, yeah. yeah, well, Trump's I mean, like- <laughs> it all comes down to this um, general feeling of us versus they. It's, it's everything content of politics doesn't mean anything it's always more will this protect my lifestyle in general you know the republican voter base seems to be to me like people who only care about you know the the classic conservative approach of i don't want to have anything changed i don't want my privileges to be uh, there forever you know And um, we are endangered by those fill in the blanks now, liberals, progressives, whatever, the, those other people, you know, that, um, you know, take it away from him. And they view Trump as being somebody who only wants to be praised and therefore he uh, does everything to have the, the those people have live their life as they used to be. I mean, that's their dream. It's it's something that doesn't that won't work in the end, I think. But that's why they buy into it. Yes, uh, you know, it's. I have a friend. He's down in New Mexico, and he uh, he has he enjoys signing up for Trump newsletters. Just to give you an idea of how this campaign works, he signs up for any kind of Trump uh, campaign email, uh, social media. He subscribes. He's made it his business to be a Trump supporter on paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is not actually a Trump supporter. And he sends, even on his Twitter account, which is private, but he, he shows us images of the messages that come in. And what you see is, I mean, it's some crazy text, in my opinion, of course. It says things about how Biden is going to destroy America, about how the left wing is going to use this old man Biden as a puppet. And the only way to stop it, I mean, it it starts to sound like QAnon stuff. Um, Donald Trump is this savior. He's going to protect us because our country is under attack. Again, as I've said before, same thing is said in Russia. Generally speaking, Russia is under attack by the rest of the world. Putin helps protect Russia. Otherwise, we'd get eaten alive by, (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) outsiders. Um, So, you know, Trump supporters... uh, think that they're under attack. I really think they believe this. That's why they so violently and so uh, enthusiastically put themselves on the line, or at least go vote and stand in counter-protest. There is this, it's emotional. It's all emotional, which is why when I show you facts, or when anyone does an investigation, the problem is that it's facts versus emotions. And at least in the United States, emotions seem to win. Um, people vote based on this emotion, including the emotion of, I hate this guy. I hate this other guy. I hate this president. You know, it's, this is where we're at. Um, you, you, you know, the idea with a democracy was that you are an informed public, uh, a well-educated public, which you can get through an education, maybe a public education. And media. media. And media, indeed. Good point. But we see that there's another force involved and it's emotion and that is a very powerful force that oftentimes is stronger than emotion, uh, stronger than facts or education. Or what is that education anyway? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, it's a Zoom call. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's not a an American. Um, well, America is not an exception in this. I mean, this yeah. this uh, yeah. has always been the case. It's just that we have this weird, um, this weird confluence of of uh, technology, social media, different well, life getting complicated uh, in, in general, uh, the news flow accelerating. I mean, that's something that has always been uh, said. But uh, I think especially the the internet is still something that most people are just not used to. They They haven't understood the dynamics, as they haven't understood the dynamics of newspapers for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and there are still people who somehow, you know, have this, um, automatic reaction to, oh, there's a headline in the newspaper, so there must be truth to it. You know? Yeah, that might be, but that's probably not the moment you should decide on this. You should, you know, think twice, check twice, whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. internet makes it so m more complicated because the the news is uh keeps keeps rushing in and is tailored to your specific belief system yeah. that's new and so that's why um, the shit works so well right now yeah. i'm still rather optimistic that there might be you know changes to this sooner or later mm. it's not mm -hmm. something that's going to happen next year but it's in the long run the um humanity is is going to adopt to its own tools yeah um but we're not there, there yet and it's probably um yeah not going to happen in 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 this election so this election is still happening within the same dynamics we've seen four years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's this, uh, would you agree? It's like an immaturity with the information environment we have. Like we're still not, we don't fully have power over our, our internet or our social media. We we're more like the victims or the, the subjects being manipulated of by it. Not enough people have discovered podcasts as their real savior. For example. Yes. That's, that's the biggest statement of today's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the real savior. Adopt your podcast as your real savior. We suffer for you. Yeah. It's, it's your new religion. We made a loss every year. <laughs> oh, yes. We die for so, your yeah. sins. There you go. <laughs> and we rose again in 2020. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. It's a sacred year. <laughs> we're the prophets, mm -hmm. man. We're the yeah. prophets. <laughs> but no, no, we're the losses. <laughs> All right. Yes. So I think that's enough for uh, on, on the US election for now. Or is there anything you want to add? No, I look, I don't, uh, for those who are interested in the tax, uh, returns by the Trump presidency and before it, it, there is a lot more to it. There are a lot of numbers, including what he makes in his abroad, uh, projects. And, and it's an interesting read, but uh, indeed, I think the, the most important part is what we covered about whether or not and how this makes a difference or doesn't. So yeah, let's leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's look at, uh, the situation in Europe. Then. Yeah, I mean, there's always many places to look 
<laughs> in Europe. I'm on one corner right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really felt like we, uh, I mean, we've both seen it the last few months, the last few weeks. Already we have the situation of refugees living, uh, including in places like uh, Lesbos, on the island of Lesbos, in the Moria camp. Um, but we had the fire, the major, major fire, which destroyed the Moria camp and displaced tens of thousands of people. And there they are stuck on an island, uh, an island where they don't have any place to go. Um, For a week or more, they were living just on the roads. Um, uh, They say a highway, but when I look at it, it's just like a major road. Regardless, they're living on a street out in the open. Um, The Greek military was and has been present trying to stop people from being able to go into towns. Essentially, people are trapped, um, and they're trapped with not much. And the Greek plan had been, and and, and is, to build another camp. Of course, the Greek government will say this one will be better, uh, it'll house more people, and it'll be safe. Of course, refugees will say, first of all, the camp we were just in was hell. Um, We don't want to live like that anymore. A lot of the outcry from refugees has been, you know what? We don't want this. We don't want this. We don't want to go to Europe anymore. Send us home. At least that's what's said on on signs. And I've seen a number of interviews conducted by a good friend of mine who's been on the island. Um, And again, even if they want to go home, that's not an option. So you are a effectively a prisoner on this island where a lot of Greek people hate you um, or just, you know, don't want you there. So the island itself has a population that whose lives certainly have been impacted by the presence of tens of thousands of people. And it's such, uh, it's just, it, it breaks my heart. Like it's just so disappointing. And the European union, I don't see much different, you know, the initial response, I think it was, combination. Germany was involved, but I think a number of other countries, that was the, we'll take the unaccompanied teenagers. It was like 400 people. And uh, it just seems so small. And we know that Hungary, uh, Poland, I forget who their allies these days are, but they don't want anyone. They have a hardline approach to this. They put up fences. They, they put up policies basically that say, we're not involved in any kind of solution. And so it seems to me, anyway, the European Union does not much on this front. You know, I think they send uh, food and water. Um, They're good with sending some money to do projects, but not much else. And the Greek government, my my heart goes out to them, too, because I don't think they know quite what to do. And they're always kind of, what's it called, reacting instead of proactively doing something uh, constructive. It's just sort of, okay, what now? What now? Here's something, here's something. So, uh, and actually in the last week, I find the news about Moria camp is less visible uh, as, and it was for one or two weeks there, you really could get a lot of information about people, about how they're doing. Um, and I just think this is one of the great tragedies. You know, we, we, we think about the pandemic and COVID, but this has been more than five years of people just packed into a camp on an island. And there are other places in Europe, uh, in Italy as well, there are refugee centers. And it's um, it's one of these shames of humanity, in my opinion. Um, and I, and I don't, don't quite know if I were in charge 
how successful I would be at managing this, but still, I'm pretty sure we can do better. Um, but yeah, it's a really tough situation. I mean, of course we could do better. And, and, and this Moria uh, situation um, is pretty bad, but it is just a symbol for the, the bigger problem behind it. And that's that the European Union does not have any uh, policy on how to deal with with the general problem of migration and especially uh, migration for uh, basically asylum seekers, for, for people who are just fleeing war, fleeing situations that are unbearable. And, and they refuse to act on the Moria uh, camp problem because they just fear it to be a signal somehow, you know, that now we are uh, open again for business and then uh, everybody is going to come. But on the one hand, they're coming anyway because that's not really something people think about when, when their life is in danger. Um, and I mean, we've seen the, the situation in Syria has been bad now for how many years? It's this was since 2011. Yeah. Yeah. It's going on for, for, for nine years and Europe has been incapable of, of, of dealing with the situation. I mean, I know that's very complicated to deal with the particular situation in Syria, but for sure there would have been other ways to deal with it, uh, in terms of, uh, the, the people fleeing the country. So that's why they need to suffer. That, that's the main problem I have with it. I mean, we're talking about 13,000 people which is basically nothing if you spread them out over uh, Europe. But no country is really um, ready to do the first move here. And if you look at the situation in in uh, Germany, which is pretty absurd because you have, there have been so many cities, uh, Berlin being one of them, Hamburg uh, and so on, where the local government was pretty open and said like, yeah, no problem, let's bring over like a few hundred to us, you know, where we're, we're taking them. And it's the um, federal government that keeps, uh, you know, refusing to, to, to actually act on this somehow because they are saying, um, well, there needs to be a European solution. You know, they, they just want to uh, take the burden uh, of uh, all of it and, and, and other countries don't. And of course, I mean, I know why they're doing it, especially in Germany. It's why it's because um, the shock that this 2015 situation in in Germany, um, which led to the rise of the uh, Alternative for Deutschland, FD, uh, Nazi Party, and so on, they just don't want to repeat it. But I don't really think that that's the way they should deal with it. Because mm -hmm. somehow they're accepting that this is a problem instead of showing that it's not. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so many elements of this are also interesting, complicated. I, I find it fascinating. You know, I've known people who worked with refugees here in Portugal, and uh, especially in that 2015 time where <laughs> Portugal took in, I don't know, a couple of hundred. I'm I'm saying a very small amount, but hey, okay, it's Portugal. And what I was told was for many refugees that lived here, they had housing. It was a refugee center, at least in the beginning, but things were so difficult. The, the stipend they got to start was so small. And when they did find 
small employment, the wages are so small here, um, that many people thought, this is, I, I need to get somewhere better. And, you know, that's the interesting thing with Europe as well. I, I, it's amazing in many ways, like Germany is the shining example of where people want to go. I'm not saying they wouldn't go anywhere else, but it's, I, I'm in awe of it. Uh, the way people, you know, I grew up with those stories of America. Everybody wants to go to America. And, and I know there are still people out there that look to America with a sort of, I want to go to the United States and try life. But it's impressive and sometimes sad to see the interviews with refugees in this camp for five years that have learned German and have never been to Germany that really see Germany as this place where life could be better. I mean, it's amazing how that's happened. And, um, yeah. And, and these images that inspire people almost to their own detriment, you know, to put their lives at risk. I've been watching this summer and I'm sure many of you people out there have as well. There have been the news stories of people as they have for years crossing from France to the UK. Um, and I guess it's been a pretty good summer for being able to try that at, at great risk always. And, you know, and the UK sits around at the government anyway and says, what? Uh, no, people, you mustn't, you know, they're, they're shocked that all these people are coming uh, across the channel because they're not in Europe anymore. <laughs> but, you know, th these places have these huge images around the world as beacons, you know, where you can go, where life is better, where you have a chance. And no matter what happens, these beacons survive, no matter, seemingly, no matter how harsh the, the, or the risk is, um, it's, it's so odd about humanity, like, You'll risk it all uh, for this. And I don't know, you know, sometimes when I look at the European Union, if they did do a response where indeed Portugal would take on more people, I don't know if, if you know, refugees would go, okay, good. <laughs> I, I think that there's a certain element here of, no, no, I want to make a better life also. But indeed, with the situation on Moria, it's so bad that you could maybe say, no, this is more of a situation where I'll go anywhere but here um which is seemingly what's what's happened including i'll go back to my home country where things are dangerous terrible uh so this is just um i don't know and it just doesn't seem like any new solution is coming um it's the same old put people in camps and you know living in the netherlands uh and, and even being here in portugal i don't know that people want to know again emotions it's easier not to get emotional about something if I don't think about it and if I don't have to look at it. So you park people in Greece on an island and you don't think about it for five to ten years. It's a strange thing about what's possible with people. Like, you can just not think about it and you'll be okay. Because if we really thought about it every day, we wouldn't be able to live with it. We would have to do something to improve the situation. So it's an odd silence in in much of the European Union, in my opinion. Yeah, I just um, used my Google Earth tool just to have a look mm. at this camp. And oh. I was surprised. I mean, it's easy to find it. You know, it's close to Moria, of course. Uh, but <laughs> it's pixelated. Huh? You can't look at the camp from Google Earth. The whole area is is pixelated as it if were a uh, a military site. So this is not something that Google has decided to do. 
that's something that Google is somehow forced to do or has agreed to do uh, on request because of some, you know, usually military interest. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. So <laughs> that's so bad. You know, it's... Yeah. Uh, that says something too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I, I have nothing particularly new for news of the world on this issue. I just think it's one of those things the least we can do is keep an eye out for information from there. I still appreciate when reporters are able to go, which is very difficult because, again, the Greek military under orders, I guess, are not open to people coming. Uh, reporters, wherever you're from, you're not welcome. And my dear friend Olaf Kunz has, has had a hard time there. Um, he often would say, you know, <laughs> I'm a European citizen, but I'm not allowed here in Europe. Uh, I can't get into this part of Europe. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's nothing here for me to see. They won't let me. Mm -hmm. But he did manage to speak with people. And I, I still appreciate that reporters dare to go there or that even that media organizations will support their journalists to go there. And you don't have to be like a, a freelancer on your own. Um, because it's, it's dangerous, uh, for various reasons, including that you're not necessarily protected from the military or, or, you know, whatever new policies the government comes up there, uh, for people trying to talk to refugees. Um, so I appreciate the journalists that are out there still focusing on this because it's all we have to get information. I mean, there are people of course, and they're trying to communicate, I think, but I don't hear from a lot of refugees, uh, out there in the camps. Maybe I should seek more sources. So um, let's have a look at the Corona virus situation ah. <laughs> in the world. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. No news that the U S has uh, not done a great job on this one too. Yeah. They passed 200,000 dead this just past week. Um, and that is, I think the highest total for a country in the world. I, I don't know where I saw that, but I've seen that recently. And indeed, you know, 200,000 um, is far beyond, for example, uh, when the US president back in February or March said, you know, if it becomes 100,000, I'd be surprised or it won't even reach, you know, uh, not to get too much into his predictions, but we're way beyond what the US government projected based on the measures they were or weren't taking. And, uh, and I think the big news, Tim, and you can tell me for, for there and certainly in, in Berlin and in Germany, but I know the big news back in Amsterdam is that there is a big spike going on. Uh, we've seen the UK also announce tighter measures. And I'll tell you what, what marks what I'll remember September, August, September, 2024. It's actually the time where for me, it's the first time that now friends of mine that I tend to spend my time with in normal, normal years actually have it. Um, and that wasn't the case earlier this year. It was all, always a friend of a friend of a friend, a parent or grandparent. And now it's just people between 20 and 40 um, that suddenly come up with Corona and, and they don't necessarily go to the hospital, but uh, they get tested and they stay home. And this is the new period we're in. It is. Uh, just to correct you on the numbers, I mean, it's usually reported that the US uh, has the worst numbers. Uh, and <laughs> that, that's usually the case if you just look at the, the totals and uh, not relating it to the number of people actually living in the country. So mm -hmm. that slightly uh, changes it. So you can uh, say... For instance, that the the worst hit. Um, well, I, I don't really. I don't have a full list. I just looked at a, a few 
uh, other countries that have been also hit pretty badly. So, for instance, Peru, you know, has more mm. death per capita than ah. uh, the U.S. But yes. I guess we all agree that there should also be a factor um, being applied to that formula that somehow um, points to, you know, the quality of the uh, technology involved in the medical system and so on, you know, mm -hmm. so you would expect the US to be much lower than mm -hmm. South American states, which is uh, not the case. Also, Spain and Brazil are also uh, up there, uh, more or less close or more or less on the same level right now. If you look at the total death so far, uh, United States, United Kingdom, uh, and then, you know, later on, Italy, Uh, Mexico and so on. Um, so things are quite bad in Spain. There, are some some European countries uh, have also not managed the situation well. There might be other factors in it um, when it comes to uh, death rates. You know, just medical explanations too. But it's obvious that the US is still somehow incapable of setting up a plan and the same is true for the UK and somehow Spain also got caught in in problems and I'm pretty happy that <laughs> the situation in Germany hasn't uh, worsened like this oh okay I did not know that yeah yeah it's good um, I know I could tell you about look <laughs> these things probably exist in every country whether or not we pay attention but it has come to my attention in the Netherlands You know, having been under some form, it's not really a lockdown, but, um, you know, the lockdown, let's say, uh, for the four or five months uh, until businesses were sort of opened again, or at least <laughs> restaurants and certain places opened again in, uh, in June, um, there has been this movement, mostly social media-wise, of famous people, I want to say influencers and artists, who use the hashtag, um, well, in Dutch, it's a, it's a, I'm not in or I'm out, count me out. And it's been um, about, I don't want to take part in the government's measures. Uh, they say things like, free the people. In English, they say this. Um, they say, the government needs to be reined in under control because their measures have been out of control. And it's this weird trend, but it's also, for me, not surprising because especially young people who haven't felt the impact of Corona and who are into, you name it, uh, performances, uh, bars and pubs and clubs that indeed are having trouble in terms of being able to do their thing to earn a living and so forth. They're, they're now coming out in large numbers and kind of getting a following of people who are just using catchphrases to say, I'm out on this whole Corona measures thing. And it's, it's created a big uh, argument debate on the national level in the Netherlands. But for me, it reflects something that I've kind of known about quietly uh, in the country. And I probably mentioned it in the last program that there are a lot of people in even in a place that's seen as so practical as the Netherlands, who are not really into uh, a lot of the measures and not necessarily keeping these practices. For example, masks, no way. The government doesn't even strongly push for masks, but they're not doing it. Um, you know, distancing, not touching one another. Pff, if, if you're remotely known to one another, if you're friends, I, people are touching each other perfectly as they always did. 
Um, I've heard people look at the Netherlands and say, no, no, but there's a practicality. They're not going inside. They're outside where it's better. Could be the case, but I definitely see this resistance. And now we have this spike going on in the Netherlands and in Belgium. Um, uh, and they say, you know, it's now young people who are contracting the virus, who are spreading the virus. And it's just a weird thing. I consider it a sort of, I don't know, is it privilege? It's it's just that you haven't been affected and you think you're invincible, or at least you've been told that even if you do get it, you're going to be fine. Um, and we're seeing the sort of results of that. And here I am in Portugal since a week now, and I'll be here all month, and it's such a different scene. I mean, I'm not in the capital, which has higher numbers, but people are so cautious, masks everywhere. I, I can't go anywhere without someone insisting that I slather my hands in gel uh, every every time I go in any kind of a shopping or whatever place. And this country doesn't even have the numbers, or at least outside of the capital, that that country does, that the Netherlands does. Or, but yet people are just, first of all, they're really scared. Okay. And the other thing is there's a tradition in Portugal of being very respectful of what medical officials say. It's almost that old-fashioned, like, I didn't study medicine. I don't know. If the doctors say to do it, I'm going to do it. And that's very predominant here in Portugal. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a weird time in the coronavirus, kind of like a little pushback after maybe being cooperative for six to seven months, um, at least in the Netherlands. I mean, in the U.S., we've seen pushback since the beginning. Um, it's just weird to see where behavior, collective behavior goes over the next few months, two years. I don't know. Let's see. But to the next time coming up, what people do, what people demand. Yeah, it's interesting to see how people are getting used to the situation in a weird way. You know, you, you would uh, expect that everybody is focused on uh, doing the right thing, avoiding the disease, but somehow people are just tired of, you know, <laughs> changing their way of life and just want to get back and uh, seem to feel better just by ignoring this, the situation somehow filing it under where you can you could be hit by a bus you could die from whatever mm -hmm. you know is common mm -hmm. and in a way if you look at the numbers that that might be an interesting point to make but usually it's a comparison to things that only affect you you know you could die from a brick falling down yeah mm -hmm. that could happen But if it happens, it's only you uh, not passing along the brick to everybody uh, standing around you. Mm. And, and, and that's somehow the, the weird part that some people also seem to um, push away the thought that they, they might be somehow responsible for other people. And, yeah. and that's, that's the main problem I have with this uh, kind of behavior. Yeah, it's that's an interesting thing because yeah, when you compare it to all the other risks in life, sure. Yeah, but it's exactly as you said it. Like this is more complicated than that. Um, and so I, I don't know. You know, a lot of people are betting, certainly in the United States, on a vaccine, on a vaccine. But um, uh, if there's no vaccine, and even if there were, how long will that take for everybody to get it? Uh, how many people um, would actually take it? I mean, uh, <laughs> right. there's also this craze that, that vaccines kill you, you know, like everything kills you. So nothing yeah. helps. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I took a flight to get here from, uh, from Amsterdam. That's a three hour flight. Mm -hmm. uh, I chose uh, not to promote because we don't do ads on this show, but I did choose to take KLM uh, as a 
citizen or sorry, a resident of the Netherlands. I trust KLM. And uh, I felt like this was an airline that was going to be more cautious than, say, a, a low cost airline. And you're on the plane and they do do their best to put a, a so it's three seats and three seats on each side. And they do their best to leave the seat in between people empty. Mm-hmm. Even myself and my girlfriend seat between us was empty. Um, but still, you're on a plane. I mean, the logistics are ridiculous. Like when you're supposed to keep a mask on the whole time, and you do, but when you eat your complimentary sandwich, you can take off your mask. So at some point, my girlfriend looks at me and says, all right, let's not eat our sandwiches when everybody else does. <laughs> this is the biggest strategy we're able to come up with. So I just find, I understand there, there are measures that are being taken. Uh, I find airports, the two that I saw, very calm. So there's lots of space. It's not crowded. I don't know if it's an advantage that there's less travel or less demand, but it certainly helps because airports are calmer. So you can walk through without bumping into anyone, without even getting very close to people, uh, which is a great thing. No waiting yeah, lines but, anymore and so on. Yeah. No, no. I found at least Amsterdam has this advantage. We'll see how Lisbon does it. They even send you to different security points uh, in an effort to, well, they're very pretty good anyway, but that there won't be any uh, lines or if there is a line, it's very short. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I found that traveling through such a high risk place as an airport was remarkably okay. Um, but the plane itself, the way society is designed or, or has shaped this industry, it's not an object which you can actually keep a distance from people. You know, that person is still right behind your head through that seat. Um, you're just really close to each other. So it's uh, it's a weird scene to pretend like you can actually guarantee anything on this on this well, in that context. On the other hand, the the air conditioning systems on uh, planes are perfectly suited to the problem at hand because the mm. way uh, it is designed in uh, airplanes actually helps with the situation a lot because uh, every, the, the air is sucked um, from the above, so the airflow is going um, from below upwards and so it's more a vertical distribution and that makes total sense there are not many if any reports of people um, becoming infected uh, on a normal flight Mm -hmm. after after the situation itself became apparent you know um there have been i think there have been reports on some cases where uh people got infected within the crew so people who are have mm-hmm. been uh, acting together uh, rather closely so it might not be the biggest problem we have apart from planes being a problem <laughs> for other yeah, reasons yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah tim have you been on any public transport in the last seven to eight um yes i have i ha- i took a, a a train ride once um but i have decided to keep it down as much as i can so uh, all the tours i'm doing right now i do by car which mm-hmm. is probably not the best solution for the environment but it's probably the best uh, solution for me uh it's pretty annoying to to take longer uh routes by car but you know you got to do what you got to do so that's that's my decision uh for the situation at hand and um i'd like this to uh, change but the problem is as long as 
this mask thing isn't properly enforced in in trains um yeah i'm not joining the crowd <laughs> oh you you can take a train in germany and not wear a mask no it's just that well you're supposed to wear one the, uh -huh. the, the question is will people cooperate you know you've got all these kind of weird mask wearers that somehow wear a mask somehow somewhere on uh, on your body but not the it's, way uh, it's supposed to be right. and uh Of course, then it's a matter of uh, enforcement and the personnel. And the, I, I think these people are also uh, pretty annoyed who are working on, on the trains by those mm -hmm. people. But that's such the situation uh, there is. Also, the German trains are well known for uh, the AC not working so, uh, every now and then. <laughs> oh. Usually in summer. <laughs> Might yeah. not be a big problem now in, uh, in autumn. Um, yeah, well, in general, I would say It's not very super dangerous. It's just you have to you have to adjust your your uh, travel profile accordingly to what you think is right for you. And for mm -hmm. me, I'm just you know avoiding groups. I mean, uh, being self-employed and having my own office where I mostly work alone uh, has made it <laughs> rather simple for me. Um, But uh, I do interviews. I travel a lot, yeah. and um, um, used to be a problem to make new appointments. Now this is uh, kind of uh, working ag again. So I decided to do whenever I do a tour, um, and I'm going to have two or three interviews in a row. I do a COVID test before. Oh wow! Yes. So that at least I can point them to you know yeah I'm tested. Mm -hmm. um, I can't, wow. you know, assure you that I haven't been infected by somebody running around on the streets. It's just like pretty unlikely, but you know, at least I have, I have this uh, a test and made made this just a part of my expenses for what I do. And that makes me think that for you, as a private citizen, uh, getting a test is something that is not not too difficult. Well, you can just order one test kit on Amazon. What? Yes, and you you uh, so you you you, uh, you do it yourself. You know, uh, you just enter uh, the um, how do you call this thing you put into your mouth? How would you call that? Oh, the uh, swab, the cotton. Oh, swab. yeah, the swab. Yeah, yeah. So you you, yeah. you just. Uh, um, use it yourself and uh, you put it into an enclosure and then somebody comes around and gets the bag ah, okay. um, uh, and I see the results uh, online there is uh, I haven't really done it uh, I've, uh, uh, that way I've done it once once the test has arrived in the test center then they're pretty quick so that's like less than 12 hours the problem is Once you say like that, they should get your uh, sample. Then they tell you the next time slot, and in the last case, it was like next day, and then it took another night to arrive. So from taking the actual test and having uh, the the results being reported to me, there were close to two days that passed by, which is not ideal for my situation. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to find out what the <laughs> the best. Uh, timing is in this I might be uh, capable to reducing this to a day which would be very helpful but that's just my approach now very impressive very uh, yeah considerate of you for your 
for your guests and and hey for your for everyone else yeah i mean I'm, i have to tell them like here yeah, I, i want to be uh, in a room with you for two hours talking loudly <laughs> that's not like the best <laughs> suggestion you can make these uh, times yeah. but when i add like i'm going to be you know I'm, i'm i'm showing you my test before which was more or less recent then yeah things come mm -hmm. down. okay but they don't show you tests <laughs> they i haven't asked for uh, <laughs> tests yet okay Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the problem. future of podcasting <laughs> you send somebody a microphone an audio interface and a test kit yeah well i i, I tried to do this remote thing but it's rather complicated to to arrange uh, it works where people when you know people or their experience yeah, yeah. in this digital stuff but then again i care much uh, about the quality and i also care mm -hmm. much about the you know being able to look into the eyes of the people i talk to Just yes. to make sure they know how much I love them. <laughs> yes. Stop staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> We have no camera, people. Uh, <laughs> well, that's very interesting, though, Tim. I like, I like getting this insight. I think people will, if they didn't already know, I think they like getting this insight. I do all my interviews remotely, and uh, I have not done a COVID test because I just always assume it's hard to get one. But you've uh, opened my eyes to, at least if I lived in Germany, what was possible. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure if they, uh, this service also exists in the Netherlands, but I think it's another, isn't it even, a, 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 I think the company no. is from the Netherlands. Oh, that's interesting, because everybody I know that wants and is taking tests, they have to go to this bike-through-test uh, service, which sounded awesome, but is actually not that great. You have to park your bike, you have to go into a building. It's um, very complicated, actually. Yeah, let me see where this... Yeah, it be. is from the Netherlands. <laughs> All yes. right, I'll Public I'll follow country. your link later. <laughs> All right, maybe maybe it's possible because everybody in Amsterdam just pays attention to what the local government says. It's like, oh, also much place. cheaper than going to the doctor, actually. Oh, yes. Okay, half price. All right, All right. I'm in for this. <laughs> Get me some tests. All right. Well, we've covered. RBG, Supreme Court. We've covered the Trump, latest Trump stuffs. Uh, we've talked a bit about the refugee situation in Europe, and we've updated the COVID followers. And so that, I think, is our, our news for this week. I think we did a good job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Or maybe two weeks. Feels better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, two weeks. Yeah, we covered two I, weeks. I, but I think... Getting closer to the election, we're going to uh, speed up our uh, production a bit. Um, Sounds good. But we're no, not making any promises right now, right? Sure. Yeah. Or I'm hiding out here in Portugal until mid-October to, to take care of family properties that are otherwise on their own. So somebody had to come and I had the ability to be here. And it uh, looks like I can do the show pretty well from here. All right. That's good. So, yeah. So, uh, let's see. We appreciate all the tweets and all the different forms of uh, feedback, uh, by all means, keep them coming. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll, I think we'll talk to you next time, right? Yes, especially um, regarding the feedback, especially we'd like to know what you like us to discuss regarding the US election. You know, Ooh. Yeah, you get news? to be a producer. Is it like a general uh, thing? That, that would be really helpful to focus on because there's so much going on that you always have to somehow pick something that's uh, most interesting. And yeah, yeah, you can help us with that. All right. 
All right. So until next time, thanks for listening. Yes. Goodbye. Goodbye.